0: Chapter Seventeen of A Boy Crusoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Boy Crusoe by Allan Eric. Chapter Seventeen: Building a Raft. Visits to the Wreck. We first visited the young coconut palms from which I cut a supply of cloth for the curtain to be hung between the two apartments in the house and while i dug some small roots for thread to use in sewing the pieces together mr harborough under my direction with his knife shaped from a piece of hardwood a bodkin to be used in lieu of a needle in sewing leaving miss harborough comfortably ensconced in front of the house with the materials around her mr harborough and myself set about the task of reaching the vessel there is but one way to reach her sir i said and that is by means of a raft It is the only sort of a craft that we can construct with no tools, and, besides, I believe we can make a raft which will carry the cargo. Your experience fits you to take the initiative, he replied. I am under your direction. You shall lead, and I will follow and obey your instructions. I am sure our combined ideas only will produce the best results, I made answer. But first let us proceed to the bamboo thicket. As we started to go upstream, Mr. Harborough turned and cast an anxious look toward his daughter. Noticing this, I hastened to reassure him concerning her safety. "'And are there no wild animals on the island?' he asked. "'I have seen none hereabout,' I assured him. "'I remembered the wild pigs that I had met on my march around the coast, "'but I thought best not to unduly alarm him by alluding to them. "'And do you believe the island entirely uninhabited?' he asked. "'At the present time I believe it is absolutely uninhabited,' I replied.' As we walked along, I told him about the old wall on the mountain, adding that it was evidently constructed by civilized people long ago. An idea occurred to me at that moment concerning the ruined wall, but I resolved not to communicate it at present. As for the wild pigs, I did not believe they would put in an appearance in this part of the island. Reaching the bamboo thicket, we set to work cutting a great quantity of them, selecting those from two to four inches in diameter. I, meanwhile, explaining to Mr. Harborough how I proposed to construct the raft. We labored incessantly the entire day, only stopping when the sun stood directly overhead to allay the cravings of our appetites, and reaching the house, we were delighted to find that Miss Harborough had dinner all ready for us, she having roasted some yams and the only remaining breadfruit. I resolved to make a trip to the pool and procure another supply at once. Miss Harborough had finished the curtain, and before we returned to our bamboo cutting we hung it in place fastening it with wood skewers while we continued to cut bamboos miss harborough wandered about admiring and wondering at the many tropical sights and sounds i continued to keep the records of the days on my coconut shell calendar in two days we had cut what i believed was a sufficient number of bamboos the following day was sunday and while we resolved to abstain from working on the raft we agreed that the time was too precious to remain entirely idle, so we resolved to devote the day to replenishing our larder. We were early astir and prepared for a trip to the pool. Before setting out, I got out the fish net which I set in the stream, explaining that we would remove it on our return, and hoping that it would yield a good number of fish. I took my bow gun, intending to keep a sharp lookout for pigeons, and Miss Harborough carried Puff. I having taken care to secure him to her arm by a thong, so it could not impede our progress by flying away into the thicket. We followed the bank of the stream, and in due time reached the pool where we set about in the best of spirits, gathering water coconuts, breadfruit, oranges, bananas, and plantains. Refreshing ourselves upon some ripe bananas that we found scattered through the bunches while we sat beneath the shade of the broad leaves, we gathered up our spoils and set out to return. I decided to keep along the edge of the forest going back, hoping to bag a pigeon or two, and I was so fortunate as to secure four, to the great wonder of my companions who marveled at my marksmanship and the accuracy of the rude bow-gun. Arriving home, the net was removed from the stream, being nearly half-filled with fish. The question of food was settled for several days, and we could work on the raft uninterrupted. Miss Harborough allotted to herself the duty of preparing the food, and well did she perform her task. She not only had our meals ready with unfailing regularity, but her womanly instinct enabled her to devise dinners, dainty and appetizing innovations in the simple cookery, that were most acceptable. The foundation of the raft was laid by placing bamboos on the beach just out of reach of the surf, there being no discernible tide, about one foot apart. The poles, forming a layer, were about eighteen feet long, and there were fourteen of them. This fixed the dimensions of the raft eighteen by fourteen feet, These were firmly lashed together with lianas from the thicket nearby, which were passed over and under each alternate pole, across to the opposite side and back again six times across, with double weaving at the ends. Next we cut a great quantity of reeds and laid them evenly over the framework, to the thickness of about two feet. Another frame was then made the same size as the first, which was placed over the reeds and bound firmly to the bottom frame, to which it was firmly hastened with lianas around the edges, Forming a sort of mattress. This process was repeated until the raft was fully six feet thick. This work, as is to be supposed, occupied several days, but when it was completed we had reason to feel proud of the result. Indeed, it was the outcome of no little skill. We expected that the buoyancy of the materials of which it was constructed, together with its great thickness, would enable the raft to float with its top high out of the water, which would allow it to support a considerable load and besides, it was so light that our combined efforts sufficed to move it quite readily. On the morning of the day following its completion, we launched the raft, and to our great satisfaction saw that it floated like a cork. We decided that a long bamboo to be used as a scull oar would be the best means of propelling it. One half of the thickness of the larger end of this bamboo was split away the length of the first joint, which gave a flat surface to offer resistance to the water in sculling. Another bamboo was provided to be used in polling. We were now ready to set out for the wreck. Miss Harborough expressed a desire to accompany us, but I demurred, until we had proved the seaworthiness and stability of the raft in which her father joined. So she seated herself near the beach and watched us as we pushed off. Beneath our combined weight the raft did not appear to sink perceptibly, and it promised to float a good amount of cargo. This was most pleasing to us, for it would enable us to remove what we wanted from the vessel rapidly. We joined in pulling the raft until the water became too deep, after which I used the skull from the end, being somewhat of an expert by reason of my boyish practice, with a punt on the pond near the home of my childhood. The sea was placid, and it required only a few minutes to reach the wreck. I propelled the raft under the bowsprit and held it steady by grasping the martingale, while Mr. Harborough climbed aboard from whence he threw a line with which I quickly made the raft fast and joined him on the deck. The scene around us was one of confusion. The deck was strewn with a tangled mass of rigging, rendering it not a little difficult to move about. I think, said Mr. Harborough, that we should proceed systematically through the vessel, and I suggest that we first proceed to the cabin. So we descended the companionway which led to the roomy cabin. It was comfortably, though not luxuriously, fitted up, after the usual style of vessels going on long voyages mr harborough proceeded to collect all his clothing while i at his suggestion gathered into a bundle all of the wearing apparel that had belonged to the captain to be appropriated to my own use and indeed i was sadly in need of it we did not disturb miss harborough's cabin having decided to let her accompany us on the next trip when she could gather up her own belongings there seems to be nothing else that can be of use to us said mr harborough glancing around the cabin oh but why not take the chairs they are fastened to the floor of the cabin but there must be tools on board and the carpenter's kit with which we can easily remove them and then the charts the chronometer and the compass who knows but that they might be of great use to us i am sure the compass would at least this is true he replied i fear that i am not very used to being a castaway a few months will accustom you to such an existence i replied So we went forward and found the carpenter's chest, from which we took all the tools necessary to remove the cabin chairs and the compass. These, with the chronometer and the clothing, we deposited together in the cabin. Next we set about collecting all the small-sized rope, and all the cooking utensils in the galley, which we placed with the cabin crockery. We debated whether it would be advisable to attempt to remove the galley stove to the shore, but because of its weight and the consequent great difficulty in removing it, we abandoned the idea. As we moved about the deck, we could see Miss Harborough by the beach, and we frequently signaled to her, fearing that she might be lonesome alone amid such strange surroundings. As I stood gazing at the beautiful island, densely covered with tropical vegetation, radiant with golden light, I made out the mountain on which I had erected the beacon, which I could dimly see. I called Mr. Harborough's attention to it, and expressed my disappointment that it was so dimly visible, but when I reflected that the mountain was much nearer the east coast, I took a brighter view of it, for I believed that the island must be one of the Virgin Islands, and if so, it must be one of the most easterly. Still, I could not make up my mind what the land I had sighted far to the eastward from the mountaintop might be. If it was one of the northern leeward islands, then we could not be far out of the track of vessels. In this case, the beacon must, sooner or later, be seen from some passing ship overhauling the stores we found quantities of provisions canned and dried fruits salt half a barrel of salted beef nearly two barrels of flour a great quantity of sweet potatoes and several gross of matches indeed nothing seemed to be lacking we now set about loading the raft lowering the different articles over the side by means of a rope distributing the weight over the raft we loaded it until it settled to within a foot of the top and a great quantity of freight it took at this rate it would require but few trips to complete the work taking the clothing aboard we started ashore which we reached without accident though it required considerably more time to scull the heavily loaded raft being so deeply laden it grounded several feet from the beach so that in unloading it we had to wade back and forth through the water everything was stored snugly in the house before sundown on the morning following we made another early start for the wreck miss harborough with us this time as before the raft was made fast to the bowsprit and miss harborough was hoisted aboard in a boatswain's chair we proceeded to load the raft intending to make two trips during the day this was soon accomplished and taking the compass and the chronometer as well as miss harborough's trunk we were about to cast off when with an exclamation mr harborough grasped the chains and disappeared on deck presently returning with face aglow, carrying in each hand a gun. Such good fortune was almost overpowering, for with guns we could not only defend ourselves effectively, if necessary, but easily secure plenty of game. He explained that there was a quantity of cartridges for the rifle as well as considerable ammunition for the shotgun in the cabin. Each day we continued to make one or two trips to the vessel, the weather fortunately continuing calm, with the result that we stripped her of everything that we could move, and that could possibly be of use to us we soon discovered that we could store in the house only such articles as there would constantly be use for so we proceeded to build another addition from the other side opposite miss harborough's apartment to serve exclusively as a storeroom thus our abode extended to quite a pretentious establishment the raft no longer in use we hauled up among the coconut palms we had been so busy since the barkentine came ashore that we had not been able to extend the stockade around the two additions to the house. This we proceeded to do, following the same plan of construction as I had previously done, joining it to the main structure at the four corners, thus making an enclosure of quite twice the area of the original compound. We planted yam vines all over the new stockade, varying our labours by making trips to the pool for provisions, going on excursions into the forest but never far away, securing pigeons with the aid of the shotgun, but seeing no animals, and fishing in the stream. We lived sumptuously, with the fruit and the plentiful supplies from the vessel. At my suggestion, we planted a quantity of sweet potatoes, selecting a sunny spot near the stream, breaking up the ground with poles sharpened with the aid of a good axe, which we found in the carpenter's kit. Indeed, we found several tools, such as a bit, auger, two saws, and a hammer, that were of great use to us. And fortunately, a few nails. I had some doubt as to the success of our sweet potato experiment, believing that the tropical climate would prove too warm for them, remembering that they flourished to the greatest perfection in the eastern central part of our own country. However, the experiment was worth trying in the interest of future food supplies. We had from the first kept a close watch along the shore all along the bay in case bodies of other members of the barkentine's crew came ashore. But none did and with the axe we hewed a rude headboard from a hardwood plank, which we had brought from the vessel, for the grave of the man whom we had buried, carving thereon the name William Clayton, together with the day and year of his death. We discussed the advisability of setting fire to the wreck, but after mature consideration we decided that so long as it remained intact, it might serve to attract attention should a vessel be passing, and thus lead to our rescue. We had much leisure, and I took occasion to make known a project which I had in mind from the first, that of making a trip to the mountain. For one thing, I wished to see if the beacon had withstood the hurricane, and more than all, an idea had taken possession of me, growing stronger every day, that a careful investigation around the ruined wall might lead to interesting, and perhaps important, revelations. My companions were delighted with the prospect, and we at once set about making preparations for the journey and here a new idea suggested itself we must carry with us as large a quantity of provisions as possible and how could this be accomplished we would make knapsacks from sail-cloth why had we not thought to bring the sails of the barkentine ashore the raft was again launched and we removed the smaller sails from the vessel and by searching among the seamen's dunnage in the forecastle we found several sailors needles and twine All working together, we soon fashioned two square bags, with straps of several thicknesses of cloth, with which to sling them upon our backs. The next most important thing was a selection of the articles to be carried with us. Provisions must form the bulk of the packs, and we made the selection with the greatest care. We also proposed to take along the axe, a coil of rope, the ship's compass, which was removed from the gimbals, and of course the two guns, Mr. Harborough carrying the rifle, while I took the shotgun we made belts from the sailcloth for carrying ammunition. The axe formed part of my equipment. A light bundle of clothing was made up for Miss Harborough, who also took charge of Puff, who was made fast to her arm by a piece of twine. Everything was made snug in the house, and the remaining sailcloth was carefully spread over the stores to be left behind. The door was securely closed, and one bright morning we were ready to start, first taking by means of the compass the bearings of the mountain it was my intention to proceed by a different route from those i had followed in going to and returning from the mountain for two reasons one was that i wished to further explore the island which a new route would enable me to do and the other was that a direct route through the forest would be much shorter requiring us to encamp but one night my companions fully agreed with this idea the stream was followed as far as the pool where we entered the forest it consisted of many varieties of trees one kind being of large size with a smooth straight trunk towering to a great height without branches this mr harborough said was the mahogany tree great lianas entwined the trees and many creepers some bearing exquisite blossoms that called forth exclamations of delight from miss harborough depended from the branches and in some places the vegetation was so dense that we were compelled to cut away with the axe at mr harborough's suggestion and at her request i ceased to address his daughter as miss harborough and thereafter called her marjorie as did her father for as they both said we were exiles together and formality was superfluous we were in excellent spirits and made rapid progress when the sun was in the zenith as we could see by an occasional glimpse through an opening in the dense canopy above us we paused by a tiny stream of clear water for refreshments and a short rest Our repast finished, while Mr. Harborough and I conversed concerning the present and the future, Marjorie wandered away a short distance, searching for new and beautiful flowers. Just as we rose to resume the march, and were about to call her, we heard an agonizing scream coming from the forest at no great distance away. It was clear that something had befallen Marjorie. Grasping the guns, we dashed in the direction indicated by her cries, and presently we saw her dress through the undergrowth. As we hastened forward, a sight met our eyes, which caused us to come to a sudden halt and to gaze in horror at the spectacle before us, for there was Marjorie, crying out no longer, her limp body in the grasp of what looked like a dark, shriveled-up old man. It seemed to be four or five feet tall, with a face almost black, its body covered with short hair. The limbs were long, small, and the legs were bent. We both shouted at which the monster released Marjorie, allowing her to fall to the ground while it stood motionless, looking at us, but making no sound almost at the same instant it stooped and grasped a huge club which lay at its feet. We waited no longer, and both raised our guns and fired. Evidently, our excitement disconcerted our aim for the monster, without giving forth a sound, sprang to the great tree near which it stood and began to climb it rapidly, keeping to the side opposite to us. We hastened around, and Mr. Harborough fired another shot from his rifle, but without apparent effect, for the creature quickly reached the branches and disappeared. We hastened to Marjorie, who had recovered from her swoon, and was able to give us an account of her adventure. There was little for her to tell. She was walking leisurely along, stopping to admire a flower or a brilliant butterfly, when, without warning, she felt herself in the grasp of the horrible creature. She screamed, and then fainted we were unable to conjecture what sort of a creature it might be, for we were not aware that the tropical regions of the Western Hemisphere contained large apes. While we were discussing the matter, I remembered a story which I had read years before about a creature found in the depths of the South American forest, which was called a burgery. As I recollected the story, the description of the burglary corresponded very nearly to the monster we had just encountered. Marjorie, having now recovered, although she was still somewhat weak, "'we again went to the tree and peered sharply among the branches. "'It seems to me,' said Mr. Harborough at length, "'that I see something which looks like a great nest far up in the treetop. "'I looked more closely and also saw it. "'Clearly this was the home of the strange creature, "'and then I recollected that the story of the burglary "'corresponded almost exactly to the present realization, "'for it retired to a great platform of branches and grass far up in the treetop whence it hurled defiance and clubs at the men below, while this one uttered no sound. Another shot from the rifle was without result, and we decided that it would be not only useless but folly to waste more ammunition. Resuming our march, few words passed between us for a long time. As for myself, I was absorbed with my own thoughts, and Mr. Harborough seemed to be occupied in like manner. Suddenly I stopped and rested my gun upon the ground. Mr. Harborough, said I, Did you notice that the face of the creature looked more like a human face than that of an ape, and that the feet and hands seemed to be unlike an ape's feet and hands? I noticed the face, he answered. End of chapter 17